The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
Well, greetings everyone. And yes, you don't usually see me at this part of our service. I'm really excited that I get to welcome all of you here um, in this online gathering. And before I continue our worship with an invocation prayer, I do want to tell some of you that are you know, still online, you haven't quite decided to come back in person, that it's okay. There are a lot of really good reasons that you are still at home and you may feel like the whole world is out and about and it's just you. But I want to tell you that it's not just you. I talked to multiple people who for a variety of reasons, they're not ready yet. And so I want to just tell you, it's okay if you're not ready yet. And would you all now join me as we continue our worship with this prayer. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, we thank you for your presence with us in this hour. We thank you that your presence means hope, that your presence means redemption, that you as the ultimate host are here to meet us in our joy as well as in our sorrow. And would you attune our ears, our hearts, our souls for what you have for us today. Amen.
Now's the time in our service where we take a pause to pray a, a prayer of blessing over the kids, the, the smallest among us in our community. And today's kids blessing is actually written by my friend, Grayson Flores. Would you pray with me? O creator of beautiful things, help the people of Ecclesia to be kind to each other. Help those people to be satisfied with what they have. Help the people of Ecclesia to have a good night and help them to sleep well. And a blessing of special care for the houseless members of Ecclesia and the sick and the people who have mixed feelings. I wish these blessings on everyone in this world. Amen. Would you continue our worship with me by reciting this offertory prayer? Almighty God, you created everything in the heavens above and in the earth below. You survey all of your creation and you savor its beauty and appreciate its goodness. To you, we lift up the best we have to offer from our time, talents, and resources. We give freely from what we have received from your hand. We give joyfully with the gratitude of a rescued people. We give generously with the excitement of children at play. We join with your mission and with your kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Oh, so grateful for our incredible worship team. When you're ready, you're always welcome to join us and experience worship in person every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at either our downtown or Westside campus. No registration needed, just show up. We would love to see you. And for those of you not quite ready for indoors, at downtown, we do have the option of outdoor seating on our back patio. You can even feel some of the AC from the inside. Another invitation I have for you is related to comments many of you have shared that you are ready to connect with others. Our current seasonal group meetups include an artist group, a cycling group, and a play date group for young children and their parents. And we are excited to announce that two new groups are launching this month, a thrifting group and a girls' night out group. I myself am ready to sign up for the thrifting group. I recently moved just around the corner from Bluebird Circle in Montrose, and I am ready to navigate the world of secondhand items. If you are interested in learning more about these or any other groups at Ecclesia, simply go to ecclesiahouston.org groups. Over the next several weeks, we have partnered with our friends at Good Shepherd Church in New York to collaborate on a sermon series entitled Reimagining. 
As we are returning back from a season of pandemic, we are all looking at reimagining the way we live. These teachings invite us into reflection and rich conversations. Last week, Shana Nequist preached on reimagining hospitality. And this week, our lead pastor, Chris C., is preaching on reimagining reconciliation. Join me for a deep breath, and then let's hear what God has to say to us through Pastor Chris. Hello, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm so excited to share with you today. Today, I get to preach at my church, really, two of my favorite churches, Ecclesia Houston and our dear friends at Good Shepherd in New York City. Our churches share a similar ethos, uh, a love for justice and for all people, and we get to work together in different cities. And so I get to introduce today that we're going to be sharing together voices from Good Shepherd, our dear and beloved friends, Shauna Nequist and Michael Redzina, our dear friends and teachers at Ecclesia and voices like Gideon Sang and others that are going to share with us about what we think is happening in the world and how we reimagine a world that's filled with healing and with hope. And my job today is to talk to us about reconciliation. What does it look like in a fractured and broken world to see real healing take place? I grew up in a family where I had a little brother that got a lot of attention. From the time we were young, he got in accidents. Some were definitely not his fault. He was attacked by a dog at a really young age, but Others were, he, he'd fall off of anything. He broke bones so consistently, he got stitches. And I remember being in fourth grade and we would look and like, he gets stitches like every month. He breaks a bone like every few months. I've never broken a bone, I've never gotten any stitches. And for the first time, uh, we were at a friend's house and I fell, I think we were goofing around. And I hit the back of my head and uh, they had to rush me to the hospital. It was a bleeder, right? It was ugly. Had to go get four stitches. And uh, while we were at the hospital, we got a call from those friends. My brother, he couldn't be outdone. And, and my brother, Brian, he's, he's the most amazing guy in the world, but apparently he needed attention. I don't know. He fell on the same place, hit his head on the same table. I got four stitches, he got six. He had to outdo me, right? And up until I was a grown man, I'd never broken a bone. And many of you know, about eight years ago, I was on a walk with my kids and we were hit by an SUV. The guy's texting and not paying attention. And the first bone I ever broke was my hip. It's the wrong bone to break. It was painful. I mean, painful. Everything hurts when your hip hurts. And you know what I learned was that once the bone is reset and it's in the right place, they did a few things. I'd do a surgery where they'd inject some magic fluid in there. It would help heal. But mostly, you know what it took? It took time and letting the body do what it, it does. And most of that healing, it just happened under the surface. And this is what I wanna to talk to you about today. What are the things that contribute to the fractures in our world? Because our world is fractured. In the pandemic, we found out really how fractured we are. The difference between the haves and the have nots, the difference between uh, those that were in a place of power and those that were not, the difference of, in many cultures, and many places in our country and the world, how people were treated based on their skin color. And all of a sudden we realize we got a close up to go, this world is broken. And so there are a lot of things we do on the outside and we, uh, we can do some demonstrative things. We can protest, we can work, we can take action. But I wanna talk to us today about some of the underlying things 
some of the beliefs that we have in our head um, that contribute to all of this, that could help us possibly find some healing. Uh, I've been reading a book called Cast uh, by Mary Wilkerson. The, the subtitle is, is beautiful. It's The Origin of Our Discontent. And she describes pretty accurately uh, how we are a people literally hardwired to stratify and categorize. In India, it's where we're most known, the place in the world that's most known for a caste system, right? Uh, people are at the top and people are at the bottom and there's a bunch of levels in between and everybody knows where they are and where they belong. And the truth is India is not the only place that does that. You can go to Japan and Korea. Uh, what happened in Germany under Nazis, right? Was an attempt to stratify and create a power structure. And I told you early in the life of Ecclesia, I had a dear friend who just in a moment of honesty, just acknowledged, when I go into a room, I categorize everybody and I know where I stand in the room. He based it more on power and money and success and good looks and what car you drove, but it was a caste system. We were saying some people are better than others. And today, Ecclesia, if the gospel means anything, and I think it does, and Good Shepherd, I love both of our churches. I wanna see our churches work together in the cities that we're in and across the globe to bring real healing and reconciliation. So what does that look like? Well, let me give you one sense of what I think is wrong with the world. And then let's try to identify some ways that together we can work towards healing or we can re-examine some of the things that we believe. Uh, there are a bunch of things in Christianity that we're gonna get wrong, just so you know. Uh, we don't read the Bible perfectly. We read it through our own lenses. I'm grateful that we're a part of churches with multiple cultures. And what I've learned is when I, I read the Bible, my friend from an African perspective, I learn a lot more. But the truth is we're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to go like, God's going to be like, you're wrong here. You're wrong here. You're wrong here. You were wrong here. You really messed up here. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to be like, well, I'm in heaven. So I guess it's okay. Right? I mean, being wrong is not going to be a big deal. It's not going to be the end of the world. But there are certain things in Christianity that we've said, hey, we don't want to get these wrong. In fact, they're not just areas of doctrine or belief or action or inaction. Uh, these are areas that historically the church has called uh, uh, a mistake here. It's heresy, right? And heresy is a big deal. There's only a few of them, depending on who you talk to, four or five or six. But they're more about the things that you believe about God and the world that he made. And if you get them wrong, they're really wrong. And one of the, the biggest heresies in the history of the church is this thing called Gnosticism. It's this belief that says that the created world and the matter that God made is somehow evil inherently. And that there's the spiritual world and that's good. And we're pitting the spirit against matter. And this is what you need to know. The church has said, that's a heresy. Like that's so far off. You know why? Because God made all things. All things belong to God. And everything he made is inherently good and beautiful. And what I've realized in this journey, if we're gonna experience reconciliation, we have to deal with this underlying belief. And this is what I want you to know today. You're more Gnostic than you think you are. And I'm more Gnostic than I think I am. There are ways that I actually see, sadly, myself, other people and the world God made as sometimes being almost inherently evil. I don't appreciate how good it really is. And today I want to invite you into considering how we might reconcile with ourselves, with God and with all of humanity, how we might get rid of some of these Gnostic beliefs and actually reconnect and reintegrate who we're made to be and how we're made to see the world. So let's start at the first one. We're often at odds with ourselves. 
sadly. This is what you need to know. It's time for us to reconcile with ourselves. In Genesis 3, we get a pretty good sense of how this problem started. At the beginning of sin entering the world, humanity had a shift. Man and woman, Adam and Eve. They, they said their eyes were open to something they'd previously not seen. They looked at their bodies and they felt shame. It tells us, for the first time, they sensed their vulnerability and they rushed to hide their naked bodies, stitching fig leaves into crude loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the eternal God walking in the cool, misting shadows of the garden. The man and his wife took cover among the trees and they hid from the eternal God. And God called out to them and said, where are you? Adam responded. He said, when I heard the sound of you coming in the garden, I was afraid because I'm naked, so I hid from you. Now, you're probably a lot like me. When you wake up in the morning, you look at yourself, or maybe you do this dreaded awful thing that I've been doing regularly now, where you get on the scale. The first thoughts that you may think about yourself and your body, I'm betting, if you're like me, they're not positive. I was in fourth grade. I don't know what it is about fourth grade. I started in a new school and I was an outsider. And I remember one of the girls in that class and she was only speaking the truth in some ways, but uh, she, she called me big head from the first day I started in. And the truth is my head was this size on a fourth grade body, right? It, it didn't look natural or normal, but from that day on, right? And I, I think a nickname may have been attached, right? Fourth graders are not always nice. And the reality is it was true, right? I got to junior high and I'm playing football and you start football, right? And we all, the big day, right? You're, you're, you spend about a week getting in shape and you do drills and then all of you start to get your gear because you're going to start to scrimmage. When you get your gear, you're ready to actually hit somebody, right? And we get to that point and I'm ready to get on my gear. I got my pads, I got my pants, I got my shoulder pads. I'm ready to go get fitted for my helmet, right? And I get in there and I've tried on every helmet, the biggest helmet they have in the whole school. It doesn't come close to this almost eight size head, right? They literally, <laughs> I'm in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. It happened every year. They had to special order a helmet for this big old head, right? And so for the first week of practice, all your friends are out there. They're hitting each other. They're getting started and I have to sit on the sidelines, right? And I got to tell you, I can see at least my body's kind of grown in to maybe fit the size of my head now. But I look at myself and maybe you do the same or you look at the scale and the first thoughts I think are negative thoughts. This is what you need to know. God made your body. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, have you, have you even stopped to imagine, right? That you got white blood cells that rush to a place that is sick. You've got uh, ways that our bodies can defend against disease. This vaccine only reminds us that we're just boosting what God made to fight off really difficult diseases. This body is beautiful. Your body is beautiful. And I want to invite you to join me in ceasing this negative pattern of criticizing the thing that God made and gave you. It's a beautiful thing. And one of the ways to end this heresy of Gnosticism and actually reconcile with yourself is to acknowledge that when you look at yourself in the mirror or even on the scale, that that body you have, it's made by God. It's a beautiful thing. Will you stop this pattern of criticism and self-hatred and instead embrace the fact that the body that God gave you is the one he intended for you and it's a gift both to you and to all of us. And then secondly, will you do this? 
Will you see the things that you do, whether it's work or recreation, whatever you do, will you see it as sacred? If your job is a dental hygienist and you clean teeth, then clean teeth to the glory of God. If you play golf, and by all means, play golf. When you're out there playing golf, don't get so in your head and frustrated and competing with yourself and others and angry. Instead, let it be an act of worship. If you golf, golf to the Lord. If you sell things for a living, right? And you're a salesman, a salesperson, then sell for God. If you wait tables, and by, by the way, thank you for those of you waiting tables. There aren't enough of you out there, apparently. And those of you that are doing it, you're working hard. If you're gonna wait tables, wait tables to the glory of God. Whatever it is you do, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that this is what we're made for. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or not, do it all to the glory of God. And then he tells us, don't offend other people. Don't spend your time worrying about this or that. Just whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. If we'll do that, stop criticizing ourselves and acknowledge the things that we do, whether it's work or play, that it's for God, that it's deeply spiritual. We'll start uh, to reckon with and reconcile that divide between what we've seen as the physical and spiritual. It's all made by God. It all belongs to God. Then secondly, let's be a people that reconcile with God. I don't know where you have fractures in your relationship with God, but one of the best ways to, to heal those fractures, to do that work that is under the surface, is to change some of the way that you think. Will you look at the world that God made and appreciate it and celebrate it? I got a few ideas for how you can do that. One of the things I've taught my kids, um, and I'd like to teach you, is how to slow down, whether you're, especially maybe you're at a meal, uh, one of my dear friends, Dave Rogers, he's a pastor. He taught my kids early on this, uh, what he'd call a trick, right? And he'd say, kids, I'm going to teach you something that's really special. I'm going to teach you how to drink like a cowboy, right? And I remember my boys sitting there like, okay, well, we all want to be like a cowboy when we're little boys, right? So he said, watch, watch out. And then, <sighs> just slowly drink. I've told my boys from time to time, like, hey, what Dave taught you about how a cowboy drinks, like, that's a pretty good way to live. And I've learned that if we're sitting around a table, that if we rush through a meal, I think one of the worst things to happen to the world is fast food. Now, some of you are like, Chick-fil-A is not included in that, is it? Well, I mean, it is like gospel chicken. It's almost like a church, but uh, that sells chicken. But the truth is, like, anything we try to eat fast there is something about being around the table with people that you love and slowing down. I want to invite you to slow down, to taste, to smell, to talk. If we'll do that, we'll appreciate the world God made, the flavors he made, the people around the table with us. It will be truly a beautiful thing. And then secondly, I've told you this before at Ecclesia, and I know Good Shepherd, it's the same in New York City. God made this world to be beautiful. And people, we often mess it up. And we've got a role in just keeping it clean and beautiful. So whether you're on the beach or whether you're walking the streets of Houston or New York City, I want to, I want to invite you to do something really simple. Will you just pick up trash when you see it? Just be the people that you're walking around and you can wash your hands after, carry some hand sanitizer. But when you see trash, right? I remember in my neighborhood, there, there's one spot and I don't know what happens, but people keep breaking bottles there. And I'll notice that if I don't go out there and clean it up, like, It'll, it'll stay there for weeks. It'll end up in people's tires. And now I'm not perfect. I often go out there with a, a, a broom and a dustpan and I kind of let all the neighbors know, like, I want you to see me cleaning up the glass, right? This is me doing it. And maybe that's not the best way to do it. 
But there's something about just owning your neighborhood, owning your street, and sweeping the street, picking up the trash, being a people that say, God made this world and I want to keep it beautiful. And then thirdly, let's be a people that reconcile with one another. This is what I want to remind you. The individualism that we've inherited in this country, it doesn't come from the Bible and it doesn't come from God. Paul talks about who we really are in Romans 12, and this is what he says. Because of the grace allotted to me, he says, I can respectfully tell you not to think of yourself as being more important than you are. This is the tendency that we have to think, well, I'm here and somebody else is here. He says, instead, this is what I want you to do. Devote your minds to sound judgment since God has assigned each of us a measure of faith. For in the same way that one body has many different parts, each with different functions, he says, we're one body. This is what you need to know. We're all connected. Wherever you go, we're all connected. We're all one. And we tend to see ourselves in this country as individuals. If we see ourselves as a part of a bigger whole, beautiful things begin to happen. How can we do that? Let me give you just a few practical suggestions. And here's the first. Will you be a person that's intentional about the way that you greet others? The Bible talks about this. There's a Christian greeting. And in the pandemic, it hadn't been very welcome. But the Bible says we're to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, right now, that may be a holy fist bump or a holy hug. I saw on on CNN that hugs were better than handshakes in terms of passing germs. But would you be a person that slows down, greets, and this would be the main thing, eye contact. When you see somebody, would you put away your phone and actually look them in the eye and greet them well? Now, in New York and in Houston, we live in really diverse cities. And I want to invite you, right? If you're in Houston or New York and you don't know at least the basic Spanish greetings to greet a Latino brother or sister, then you're missing out, right? And the truth is you walk the streets and you're going to meet Korean friends and Japanese friends. You're going to meet Vietnamese friends. You're going to meet Arab and Muslim friends, right? And I've told you before, if you'll just look at some of the most marginalized people in our cities are often Muslim brothers and sisters. And if you'll just look them in the eye and say to them, uh, the, the Arab greeting of peace, right? Salam Aleikum. And they would say to you, Aleikum Salam. Or you'd learn a Vietnamese greeting or be able to say thank you, right? When I, I'm in Chinatown and I say she she, right? Thank you. When somebody opens the door or they bring me food, they look at me like, you're a white man that speaks Chinese, right? And I'm like, no, I just know how to say she she and a few other things. You can bridge a gap. Would you greet people in a way that acknowledges they're really important? And then secondly, we're all ready to travel, but this is what I want to invite you to do. It's really important to me. When you travel, will you travel not as a tourist, but as a pilgrim? I don't care if you're on a cruise ship or you're at Disney or you're on a beach or whether you go to Nicaragua, wherever you go, will you just believe that you're there as a representative or an ambassador of Christ and that the people you're going to meet are people you're supposed to touch and be a part of God's healing work there? You may be in line with somebody in an amusement park, and they're exactly who you need to meet. You're not just a tourist. Your travel is not about you. It's about reconnecting with the whole world that God made and remembering that you're a part of one big body and that we're all connected. And then lastly, I believe all of us at all points in our lives are probably in need of one more good friend. I doubt you're maxed out. Facebook says I have 5,000 friends. I don't have 5,000 friends. And I know in different seasons of my life, I need good friends. Now, you don't need to stalk somebody to be your friend, but would you at least be intentional about trying to seek out a friendship? I remember at the gym that I worked out at years ago, uh, there was this guy, there was a few lockers down, and I could just tell instantly, like, we should be friends. And, uh, And you never know, like, when our lives are full, like, how do we develop friendships? And I realized at that gym, 
uh, that people wanted to have a chance to talk. And I did something unusual. And instead of keeping health food and protein powder in my locker, I brought some gin and some tonic water. And the gym, they had limes and ice and you had everything you need to make a gin and tonic. And I remember saying to my then not yet friend, Daryl, his name was Daryl Hamilton. I remember saying to Daryl, hey, Daryl, you want a GNT? We just finished a workout. We hit the steam room. He's like, absolutely, I want a GNT. I said, well, I got what we need. Let's make one. Daryl was a baseball player. He played for a lot of teams. He had years. He hit over 300. He's a great baseball player. He worked for the commissioner. He had more stories than you could ever imagine. And Daryl and I were intended to be friends. I had no idea at the beginning of that friendship uh, that Daryl would be killed. Um, he was murdered several years ago. And I'm so grateful that I was able to be a pastor and a friend to him, that I took some time to be intentional and build a friendship. I don't know who it is that you need to be friends with, but you step out, invite somebody out for a drink, invite them for a meal, and remind yourself that we're made to be connected. Ecclesia and Good Shepherd, I'm so proud of the work that you do. I believe as we walk through this series and we reimagine what the world needs, that we're a people that are not just going to think about it and pray about it, but we're going to go do it. Can I say a prayer for you? God, I thank you for two amazing churches. I thank you for one big church all across the globe and our capacity to bring your love and grace to all places. And I pray that as we walk the streets of New York City or Houston, Texas, as we say, Salam Aleikum to someone we don't even know, that you'll build bridges. And you'll remind us that the world that you made, it's inherently good and beautiful. You made it in Genesis and you kept saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. The only time it wasn't good was when man was alone. And so we want to reconnect with one another. We want to reconnect with you. We want to reconnect with the world that you made. God, we thank you for a chance to do that and be a part of your reconciling work in the world. We pray all of this together and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Friends, our loving God is the great reconciler, moving relationships from hostility to harmony. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it is here at this table where we remember that. It is Jesus who is hosting this feast for our souls, and all are welcome. But first, let's pause together for reflection before we partake. I invite you to join me in this confession prayer. You have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace. Amen. Sisters, brothers, family, Jesus is hosting 
this feast for our souls. The only thing required of you to partake is your desire to be here. And so allow me to pray over our elements, the bread and the wine. God, thank you for this body that you broke for us. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us. We willingly come to this table to feast with you and to remember, to remember your life, your death, and your resurrection. May we taste and see the beauty, the forgiveness, the grace, and the reconciliation of this meal. Amen.
living just because He Today's benediction is drawn from Exodus 4. Like Moses, we ask the Lord, what if they don't trust me? What if they don't listen to a single word I say? Rejected, ignored. What if I'm not enough? The voice of fear whispers. What if? The Lord responds as to Moses, what do you have in your hand? A shepherd's staff transformed before the very eyes of the one called to service. A reminder that the work is God's alone, His people, blessed instruments. What do you have in your hand, Ecclesia? Go forth, trusting that it is sufficient to accomplish all that our God of boundless love asks of you. Go now to live the church wherever the Lord may call you. Dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.